are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Well, hey, good morning, Sojourn. It's good to be with you once again as we get ready to dive into God's word this morning uh, for the preaching of the word. I wanted to mention real briefly before we do that, uh, that hopefully you got the video update this week that Lord willing, we are going to gather together as a church in person on July the 5th for an outdoor service. So there's more info that'll be coming to to you uh, as far as directions, time, location, all that stuff. But Let's just be praying that we have good weather and that that all works out. But I hope to be able to actually see you in person on July the 5th. Before we dive into our sermon this morning, though, let's just pray and ask God to bless this time. So would you pray with me? God, we pray this morning that you would encourage us, that you would help us to see what you'd have to say to us in and through your word. I pray, God, that we would be like the man, the woman in Psalm 1, that we would be like trees planted by streams of water, that leaf does not wither, that bears bears fruit, that prospers in all that we do, not because we are wise in uh, in our own minds, our own beliefs, Lord, but because we're rooted in your word. And so God, as we seek to root ourselves in your word this morning, I pray that you'd help us to grow in wisdom. I pray that you'd help us to grow in our understanding of who you are. And through that, God, that we would be able to rest in and live in the reality of the freedom that you give us in and through Christ. And so we pray, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate our minds this morning, that you would draw our attention, our hearts, affections towards Christ today, and that you'd be exalted in our lives. So God, be glorified today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. A few years ago, uh, my family and I woke up on a Saturday morning to find that our basement was partly flooded. We went downstairs and saw that kind of from the back door, bathroom area of our basement, water had come in and was making its way towards our guest room and the stairs. Didn't know exactly where the water was coming from, but it had rained really hard the night before and we knew we had a problem. And so we sought to figure out what's going on. How are we gonna actually figure this out? When I opened up the back door, I saw a little landing area where our stairs are back there and the drain was completely underwater. Edward came over and he had actually just started working at Sojourn, but he came over and we had some shop vacs going and we were bailing water into the downstairs shower for a little while and and it seemed like we were making some progress in some ways and in other ways not so much again didn't know exactly why there was all this water in our basement except the fact that it had rained and it seemed like we were making some strides in that way Uh, but we we eventually kind of got to the place where like i don't exactly know what's going on here and so we called up the plumber and said hey can you come over and just make sure that we don't have a problem with any of our drains or anything like that And so he came over and he snaked the outside drain all the way out to the street and found there was a problem. There was a clog in that pipe going out to the sewer. So what would have happened is, is that if it had rained again or we had used a bunch of water in our house, we would have had the same problem spring up again in our house. If we hadn't called him, we would only have that temporary solution. Water had gone away. There was less and less of it, but it hadn't actually fixed the real problem of what was going on. It wasn't until we figured out the actual issue that we understood the only possible solution. We had to remove that clog that was down the pipe. As we come to our text today, we see that Jesus kind of presses in on the same kind of thing. If you don't understand the real issue, you'll never understand the the only possible solution to 
your problem. And the issue at hand that Jesus is bringing to our attention and to his immediate audience's attention is this, that every single person, every single person who ever has been alive, is alive right now, or will be alive in the future, is enslaved to sin. We've rebelled against God. We've sought to go our own way. And real, true freedom from captivity to that sin is only possible when it's found in Jesus. And it's only found in Jesus because of who he is. We see this kind of threefold way that Jesus starts to work through this. We're all enslaved to sin. There's only one possible solution to be set free from that, and that's found in Jesus, and it's found in Jesus because of who he is. And so my hope for you this morning, no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey, is that all of us will heed Jesus' words for our own lives. And that if you do, you will know and actually believe that if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. So let's dive into John chapter 8 this morning and may we see Jesus more clearly today. Where we jump into the text this morning that was just read is a continuation of the dialogue and the discussion that Jesus has been having. He's having this discussion with religious leaders, but there's also this observing crowd around that's hearing what Jesus is saying. And we looked at this last week. We saw in verse 12 last week that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is saying and giving this hope of who he is and that that you can walk out of darkness if you follow him. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders, response to that is rejection. They're blind to the light that was shining in the midst of the darkness that's standing actually right in front of them. Jesus made it clear that unless you believe in him, who he is and what he came to do, unless you place all of your hope and all of your trust in him, then you will die in your sins. Again, sin is our rebellion against God, chasing after other people and other things, seeking to find our joy, our satisfaction, our this idea of freedom in anything and any, anyone else except God, believing that real freedom is found in this idea of personal independence, but not recognizing that there really is no such thing as personal independence, that all of us are mastered by someone or something. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And while we have many sins, what we saw last week is that all of our sin is rooted in unbelief. This idea that we don't believe God is who he says he is, that he's not good, that he's not faithful, that he's not merciful and gracious. We don't believe Jesus is who he says that he is, the savior of the world. So Jesus tells us that he is the light of the world. And because he's the light of the world, he's the only one that can lead us out of that place of darkness, the darkness of unbelief. That when we believe in him and follow him, we won't walk in that darkness any longer. Now, at the end of this previous section, if you look back at verse 30, it says this, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Not so much the religious leaders, the Pharisees, but the crowd of people that are around Jesus, listening to what he's communicating to these leaders. So when we come to our text today, we see Jesus is addressing the many who believed in him. And that's important to take note of. He does this because he knows the heart of people. He knows what's really going on inside of an individual, of a person. He's already seen so many begin to follow him, but then fall away. And so he does this, he addresses this group to show them and us the difference between a a spurious faith and a real faith, a fickle follower and a genuine disciple. 
Look at verse 31. It says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, this crowd of people who say they've started to follow Christ. He says this, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Jesus is giving a a simple definition of what a disciple is. I mean, a disciple at a basic level is is a follower, a learner. And so Jesus is saying to be a disciple of Jesus, someone who says that they believe in Jesus means that he or she abides in Jesus's words. To abide in Jesus' words mean that we keep believing Jesus. We keep listening to Jesus. We keep following Jesus. It's not just some kind of one-time action where we say we believe in Jesus, but then we move on to kind of do our own thing. No, a genuine believer in Jesus remains in Jesus. They stay connected to Jesus. And there's a result that comes from that. If we look at verse 32, This is verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And then verse 32, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, strangely enough, verse 32 is actually etched on the wall at the CIA building in Langley. I don't think it means what they think it means, though. He's not talking about clandestine operations to find out the truth of other uh, countries or anything like that. No, Jesus is making a, a clear connection here. That when you tie truth and freedom to the fact that being his disciple results in abiding in his word and abiding in his word results in you being a disciple to experience truth and experience freedom. There's a progression going on here. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And if you are truly my disciples, you will know the truth. And if you know the truth, then you will be set free. He doesn't mean truth, though, in some abstract, ethereal way. Now, when Jesus is talking about knowing the truth here, he means the truth of the gospel. The fact that the kingdom of God is at hand and that Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. And then he does that, he sets them free. But he's not talking about freedom in some kind of abstract or ethereal way. He's talking about freedom where he leads you out of the kingdom of darkness and he leads you into the kingdom of light and life. That you can be with Jesus where he is the light of the world, the very king himself. I mean, this is amazing news that Jesus says, when you know this truth, you know who I am, you know who God is, you know the reality of the kingdom of God that's at hand, that you actually experience real freedom. Your citizenship changes, your identity fundamentally changes. You were captive here, you were enslaved here, you were in this kingdom of darkness, and now you're in a new kingdom, a new place with a new identity. What an amazing truth truth and glorious hope of undeserved grace that God gives to us in and through Jesus. But instead of responding in shouts of acclamation and amens from this crowd that says they've just believed in Jesus, instead of saying, yes, that's why I want to follow Jesus. Yes, that's why I know I need Jesus. The people question what Jesus means. Look at verse 33. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? The crowd saying, wait, 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 you said we would be set free, but Jesus, we've never been enslaved. I mean, we're ancestors of Abraham and our people throughout history have been enslaved at different points in times to different kings and kingdoms, but we are God's people. We're not enslaved to anyone right now. I mean, sure, there's this Roman oppressor of Caesar and the Roman government that's ruling over us, but we have a lot of freedoms right now. We're able to kind of do our own thing. What in the world, Jesus, are you talking about here that we need freedom? In essence, what they're saying to Jesus in this moment when Jesus is drawing out from them is that, hey, that, that's cool, Jesus, but we don't actually really need 
what you're offering to us. And so Jesus presses in a bit further. He answers them, verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus' point is simple here. You guys don't think that you are enslaved to anything. You don't think you have been or are currently enslaved. You don't think that you need to be set free from anything. But the reality is anyone and everyone who practices sin, who continues and consistently rebelling against God, who is someone who gives head nods to God, who acknowledges God's presence, maybe kind of acknowledges who God is, but rejects God's authority in their life. That's someone who's committed cosmic treason, that understands the reality of the fact that our sin and our rebellion against God is heinous against him. We're enslaved to that, not to just particular sins, but to that rebellious nature. That's what you need to be set free from. And in verse 38, he's telling them that there's no way for your status to change as someone who's enslaved because you don't remain in the presence of God. There's only one person who remains, and that's the Son. And when the Son sets you free, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I mean, this is some of the most glorious news in all of the Bible, that real freedom from sin is possible in and through Jesus. And when you come to truly know Christ and come to truly follow Christ, sin is no longer master over you. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 6, that when you identify with Christ, you are dying with Christ as Christ dies. And as he was raised from the grave, you too are raised from the grave, which means sin no longer has power over your life. You are not captive to it any longer. You can say no to sin. You can experience real freedom in Jesus. And there's a cost for that freedom to be yours. There there was a, a, a price to be paid for you to be redeemed, but Jesus paid it all. He went to the cross, his hands outstretched, nailed to these wooden beams that the wrath of God that you deserve for your sin was poured out on Christ as he stood there and was nailed there as a substitute for you so that the penalty of your sin would be paid, so that redemption would actually be possible. In doing that, Jesus broke the bonds of your slavery. He blew off the doors of your captivity so that you could walk out of that jail cell of condemnation and sin and experience freedom. So you can now walk in obedience to your king and with your king. In and through Jesus, your eyes have been opened. In and through Jesus, your heart has been changed. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Do you believe that today? Are you believing that about your life right now? If you've placed your faith in Christ, do you believe that this is actually true, that the words Jesus is communicating to you are actually true? If not, are you and have you actually trusted in Christ? Are you actually seeking to know and abide in Jesus? See, this drives at the heart of the matter, not just for someone you know that would say they're not yet a Christian, maybe a friend or a neighbor. No, it drives at the heart of the matter for all of us because what happens here, what Jesus is drawing out is, is you will not truly come to know Christ. You will not truly experience salvation and freedom if you don't understand what it is you truly need to be saved from, what you need to be freed from. See, all of us are often blind to our enslavement. That's true of this Jewish crowd here. They didn't see their true reality. They didn't see their true 
need. And I think that's especially a problem in a place like Northern Virginia, a place that's fairly affluent, that a lot of us in this area have everything that we would want, we can seek after, we can run after. And sometimes maybe if you've sought to share the gospel with a neighbor or a coworker, you've said, hey, do you feel a, a void in your life and something empty, something missing? And a lot of times people could honestly say, no, I'm good. Why do I actually need Jesus? But we have to understand that the master that rules over us isn't Caesar. The master that rules over us isn't the government around us or any of these other kinds of things. No, the master that rules over us is self-centeredness and self-worship. An evil, enslaving devotion to creation instead of the creator. And the penalty for that, for that rebellion against God, is death and separation from God. And when that's the case, now or then, in your life or anyone's life around you, the reality is you are enslaved, you are captive to sin, no matter how much you have, no matter how successful you are in the eyes of the world, you are enslaved and captive to something and you can't fix it. But there's hope. So Jesus is saying, he's saying, I can set you free from it now and forever when and if you abide in me, you believe me, you follow me, you put all of your hope and all of your trust in me. See, this crowd, they thought that their freedom was found in their ethnic heritage, the fact that they were Jewish, that it was found in their law-keeping. Maybe for you, you think that your freedom and your security before God is found in the fact that you grew up in a Christian home. Why well, have I always been a Christian? Or maybe you think that it's found in the fact that you've always gone to church or that you try to be a good person and do the right thing. But Jesus is telling this crowd and he's telling you this morning that real freedom isn't found in spiritual lineage. It isn't found in religious rituals. It isn't found in good behavior. It's found in him. Because Jesus alone can overcome your greatest problem. There's something interesting here about this whole scene to me. Something that's sobering. Remember who Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking to a group of people who say they believe in him. He's not talking to a group of people that are questioning who Jesus is. He's not talking to a crowd that doesn't yet, hasn't yet professed faith in Christ. He's talking to a group of people that say they believe in him. If that was happening today, he wouldn't be out on the corner talking to your neighbors. He'd be in the church building talking to people that call themselves Christians. They're professing Jesus' followers, but Jesus can see beyond their outward profession to the depth of their heart, that they don't possess faith in Jesus. They're not clinging to Jesus. In verse 37 and 38, he shows them that they're inconsistent. They're inconsistent in their professed worldview in faith. And what they actually are consistent with is their true nature. One which they inherit not from Abraham, but from their true father. And so the response to that, verse 39, is simply, well, Abraham is our father. Once again, they've missed the whole point of what Jesus is trying to communicate to them. In verse 39 and 41, Jesus kind of runs with their logic for a minute. He says, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of, that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works of your, that your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus runs with their logic for a minute saying, okay, well, if you are truly Abraham's children, Abraham's heirs, you would be doing the things that he did. 
But you guys know the story of Abraham. God called him when Abraham wasn't looking for God and Abraham believed God and he began to follow him and he continued to have faith in God. And sure, he faltered along the way. He struggled with unbelief at different times, but he was consistently seeking to have faith and follow God to keep believing. And his belief, his faith in future grace is credited to him as righteousness. It says that in multiple places in the Bible. That because he believed, because he was clinging to God, having faith in his faithfulness, he was credited to him as righteousness. Jesus' point here is just like real sons and daughters have similarities between them and their parents, both in their outward look and also their behavior, that should be true here. He's saying, you guys keep saying you belong to Abraham. You keep saying you're Abraham's children, that he's your father, but your life and your lifestyle evidence that you are indeed doing the works of your father, but that father isn't Abraham. And so they're offended by Jesus insinuating that they are not of the bloodline of Abraham and in turn of God. But Jesus' point is, sure, sure, you're physically a part of Abraham's family, but not spiritually. The truth is, the truth is, you look a lot more like sons of Satan than true sons of Abraham. Listen to these strong words that Jesus speaks to them in verses 42 through 47. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. See, the fact of the matter is you don't belong to God because you don't receive me or my words. You aren't listening to truth. You're not accepting truth. You're listening to lies. And that's because you belong to the devil. He's a murderer. He's a liar. He's a father of lies. There's no truth in him. Everything he speaks overflows out of his character. There's nothing good in him. He deceived Adam and Eve at the beginning saying, did God really say this? And it led to cosmic treason, cosmic fracture in all of the universe, separation from God, physical and spiritual death. He's a murderer. He's a liar. That's who he is. And that's still true today. He's still speaking those lies today. See, what Jesus is saying here is the same truth that the Apostle John writes about in 1 John chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. Listen to the Apostle's John, Apostle John's words there. He says this, No one who abides in him, abides in Jesus, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now, what John's saying here, the same kind of thing that Jesus is communicating to you and to me, isn't that you'll be perfect. 
isn't that you won't have sin in your life. Until we are fully with God, until the new heavens and the new earth come, we'll still wrestle with sin. Galatians 5 talks about the fact that we battle against flesh in our spirit, this new nature and our old nature battle against one another. In fact, John says in 1 John 1 that if you say you have no sin, you're actually a liar. What he's talking about here is the reality of your heart and where your heart is. See, the heart is the motivational structure of your life. Everything you think, say, and do overflows out of your heart. Jesus says it's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. What he's saying here is that if your heart hasn't been transformed, it hasn't been changed, that heart of stone hasn't been removed, and you haven't been given a heart of flesh that beats for God, that seeks to follow him, then you're going to continue to practice unrighteousness, continue to be enslaved to your sin. But when God gives you a new heart, it changes your desires. That even as you wrestle with sin, you are convicted of it and you want to worship God with your life. Here's what this means for you and for me and for this crowd that Jesus is talking to. The evidence of real saving faith is not just in your words, not just that you say that you believe in Jesus. No, the evidence of real saving faith is not only in your words, but a changed and changing life. A changed and changing life. And that comes as you abide in Jesus as you abide in his words, as you walk with him, the light of the world. Now, Jesus has just told this crowd that they are sons of Satan. He said, you, you follow your father who is the devil. How do they respond? Not by engaging him. They don't even respond in anger and challenging him and saying, what are you talking about, Jesus? No, they respond by insulting him. Look at verse 48. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? I mean, they're throwing kind of ethnic uh, oppression at him. They're saying, well, you're a Samaritan. We don't like Samaritans. You must be from them. Or, oh, I know, you have a demon. That must be really what's going on here. They don't engage Jesus. They just insult Jesus. Jesus gently responds and reiterates the life-giving truth that he's already said. He says, I don't have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There's one who seeks it, and he is the judge. And then he says, verse 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. If you keep abiding in me, you keep believing in me, you keep following me, you'll never see death. To which these once professing believers respond, scoff at Jesus. Verse 52 and 53, the Jews said, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus responds to them, I'm not making myself out to be anyone. I'm not here to boast or brag or to get glory for anything. I'm here to set you free because of who I am. You speak of Abraham as the greatest, but you know what? Abraham longed to see my day. Look at verse 56. He says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. See, Abraham believed God. He believed in the promises of God and he saw God's faithfulness. God said, I would make you a, a, a nation. I would bring a blessing to all the nations through you. And he gave Abraham his son Isaac. And then when he called Abraham to go sacrifice his son Isaac, he then provided a substitute, a lamb, a picture of the future of Christ's coming. Abraham believed God, the promise that God made to Adam and Eve, that the seed of Eve, Eve would crush the head of the serpent. He believed him and he trusted him and he began to see the fulfillment of these things actually take place. And all of them have and all of them are fulfilled in Christ. To which this crowd then responds, what? Jesus, you're, you're not even 50 years old. How can you say that you have seen Abraham or Abraham has seen you? 
And then Jesus makes the most definitive declaration of his divinity that he has thus far in the Gospel of John. Verse 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. There is no doubt what Jesus is saying here. There is no doubt at all. He is saying, I am the same God who appeared to Moses in the burning bush and said, I am who I am. The crowd knows this because they pick up stones to stone him. They think Jesus has committed blasphemy now. And this crowd who once said they believed in Jesus turns into a murderous mob. Their pride and their their self-sufficiency are blinding and damning to them. They're in real need of rescue, but they don't see it. But the reality is, who else can offer this kind of thing to you? Who else can make these bold claims of eternal freedom except and only the I am? No one else can offer you life. No one else can offer you freedom from sin and death and follow through on it except God himself in the person of Christ. The underlying issue of every aspect of brokenness in your life and in our world is enslavement to sin. The underlying issue of every aspect of brokenness all around us right now is enslavement to sin. And there's only one path to liberation for anyone, and that is Jesus. That's true today as it was then and always will be. We never move on from needing Jesus. But you know what? The enemy is also just as much at work today as he was then, still spewing lies. Satan hasn't changed. He's still a liar. He still speaks out of the overflow of his character. He hates God. He hates God's image bearers. And his forked tongue continues to whisper lies about God and lies about you to you, telling you that freedom can be found somewhere else besides in and through Jesus. He continues to offer the same false narrative that you can have your cake and eat it too, that you can achieve salvation and experience salvation by bypassing the Savior. See, Jesus' words here to this Jewish crowd, they're a gift to us. They're a gift to us because the enemy continues to tell you, you don't don't really need Jesus that much. Or if you do, just kind of tuck him to the side and do your own thing. Jesus' words here are a gift to us because he presses on what that crowd actually believes and what we actually believe, why they actually need him. Not as a trophy to put on a shelf, but the eternal king who rules over the entirety of their lives the entirety of your life. Jesus isn't just somebody to put up on a shelf like a little bobblehead thing that you look at every once in a while, that you say, well, yeah, Jesus is important. He's a part of my life, but he's not the center of my life. Jesus is saying, if you want to experience freedom from captivity to sin, if you want to walk in the fullness of life, then it must be with me, abiding in me, following me. See, I think we often like Jesus until Jesus calls us out until he presses on those idols in our life, those other things we're chasing after for satisfaction and joy and tells us to cast them down and worship him alone. What we need, if we don't already have it, is to see the seriousness of our sin, the seriousness of any time that we chase after something else besides Jesus. Because until we see the seriousness of our sin, we won't see the sweetness of our Savior. But that's the good news of the gospel. That's the gift of freedom. In and through Jesus, we are both saved from something and to something. We're saved from sin and its power in our life, and we're saved to our king and his kingdom. So then, as Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. 
brother and sister, you will still sin. I will still sin a lot. But, but hear me on this. You are not defeated. You are not captive to that sin anymore. Even in your sin, as you continue to wrestle with it, Jesus saves to the uttermost. He has set you free. It has no power over you any longer. You are able to say no from it. That is freedom. So if the Son has set you free, believe that you are free indeed. Now maybe some of you are recognizing this morning that you too, like this crowd, have been professing faith in Jesus, but not consistently walking with Jesus, not abiding in Jesus, not clinging to Jesus. And a popular idea in the contemporary church when you recognize those things in your life is that you need to rededicate your life to Christ. But listen, we don't need rededications. We need revival. We need spiritual awakening to take place. We need people who have been struggling in their faith to experience something new, a movement of the Spirit in their life. We need people who have claimed Christ but not actually known Christ to actually become saved, to actually be set free. We need people who think that, or that we look at and see that are so far away from God right now to have a, a movement of the Spirit, to have their eyes open to their desperate need for Jesus, that every person in Northern Virginia that thinks they have everything they possibly could have to recognize, no, they haven't met all of their needs and these things, that the greatest need they have can only be met in Christ. We don't need rededications. We need revival. We need to shake off spiritual complacency and the lies of the enemy that tell you to try harder and do better. And then maybe God will accept you. We need to shake off the lies of the enemy that tell you, actually, you're pretty good on your own apart from Christ. Friends, hear the words of Jesus to you today and come back to them over and over again. If you abide in my word, Jesus says, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Who are you believing and abiding in today? Who are you believing and abiding in today? Self? Are you looking to yourself to find that, to be self-actualized? Who are you believing and abiding in today? Is it some system or structure of society? Or is it the Savior of the world? Who are you believing in and abiding in today? Do not submit to the lies of the enemy. Jesus is your only hope in life and death. And if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Walk in that freedom. Walk with Jesus. He will never, ever let you go. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to see our actual and real need, that we need to be saved from something and saved to something, or better yet, someone. God, would you free us this morning? Maybe we're recognizing, recognizing right now that we've said that we believe in Christ, but we haven't actually, we don't really have a real grasp on Jesus. We're not clinging to him. We haven't put all of our hope and trust in him. He's kind of an insurance policy for us. God, would you awaken the hearts of those men and women this morning, kids this morning, bring them to a real genuine faith in you? Maybe some of us are recognizing that we've been trying to follow Christ, but we continue to walk back into different sin struggles, not recognizing the freedom we have in Jesus. Would you free us this morning from sin that we're struggling with so we might walk in the freedom you give us in Christ? Help us to see what we need to be saved from and also that we're saved to Jesus that we get to be a part of his kingdom and follow him and be in relationship with him. Help us, God, to abide in Christ and his words and to see that influence our whole entire life. Help us to walk in the freedom by remaining in Jesus. And God, would you be glorified through that and allow that to spill out in the overflow of our lives so that our neighbors and coworkers and family and friends would experience that same freedom that's possible in and through Jesus alone. 
God, we thank you for your patience with us and your grace. Forgive us for our sin. Forgive us for our rebellion. Give us new life that we might honor and glorify you in everything that we think, in everything we say, in everything that we do. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Love you all. Grace and peace to you. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.